Hi guys, welcome to episode two of My Money, My Career. Today we are having a look at the Sunday papers to review the week and then look forward to the week ahead. So I'm here with Stephen Curtis. I'm Daniel Curran. Stevie, what's the first big story of the week? Well, I think, I think we start with Brexit this week. Um, it's, it's all over the news. There's a huge amount of stuff going on. You know, we kind of had the Brexit vote. We were into the unknown. We're now starting to find out what some of those unknowns are um, and obviously you know the big thing this week with Brexit is obviously the High Court ruling in the UK um, which said that a vote of Parliament was going to be required in order to trigger Article 50 of the European Constitution to let Brexit start and um, that's kind of uh, uh, interesting for a number of reasons the first is I think it was wasn't sort of known that that was going to happen and um, what's now becoming very clear is that the referendum vote was actually just a sort of an advice of the people as opposed to a, this is what we're definitely doing um, and this is now requires a parliamentary vote for Brexit to commence and um, the other thing is that there's a bit of question mark as to whether Brexit would be voted for by the, by the MPs because the majority of MPs in the House of Commons weren't in favour of Brexit all of them, most yeah. of the Labour Party weren't in favour of it the Lib Dems weren't in favour of it and a lot of the Tories weren't in favour including the ex-Prime Minister David Cameron and the new Prime Minister Theresa May wasn't in favour of it yeah. and you've got a few guys like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove that did the running on that but um, you know the main Brexiteers um, are people like Nigel Farage people like the UK Independence Party and they don't have any MPs so they don't have anything to say and that's kind of interesting because there's clearly been a democratic vote that Brexit is what they want to do in the UK. Um, and now all of a sudden it seems that people that don't want Brexit are going to be the people making the decision about whether it happens or not. Yeah, and there seems to be a considerable buyer's remorse amongst a certain sector of the electorate over in the UK. Well, I think it's still all a bit sort of up in the air and they don't really know. You know, it's, it's a funny one because, you know, the economy is doing reasonably well in the UK. But the problem with the economy doing reasonably well in the UK is is in the in the UK the economy doing reasonably well it just means the South East is doing reasonably well. It yeah. doesn't really mean anything else. You go to Sunderland or you go to Scunthorpe or you go to Hull or you yeah. go to the Humber or any of these places, they don't really sort of see these big swings. So, you know, there's I think there's a huge amount of I think there's a bit of there's just a huge amount of uncertainty and I think this how this decision of the UK courts has has increased the uncertainty. Um, so it remains to be seen what they're going to do. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Theresa May, ironically, was talking about appealing it to the Supreme Court and even more ironically appealing it to Europe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of strange. Yeah. Um, I'm all on for sort of, you know, using the tools at your disposal, but if you're, if you're talking about Brexit and you're going to the European courts, it's all gone horribly wrong. Yeah. I think, and look, I think, you know, That'll kind of that'll that'll be a running story, I think, for the next sort of six nine months as as we see what happens. And I think the only thing you can say with absolute certainty in anything to do with this whole Brexit uh, discussion and the whole sort of, sort of chain of events around it is that we don't know what's going to happen next because everything about it has been so uncertain from the vote to the Michael Gove candidacy to Theresa May becoming uh, PM to Dave and George being no longer the golden boys of British politics, you know, you have to remember, you know, mid-15, David Cameron had just won a majority yeah. of the Conservatives, the first one in over 20 years, it was a huge deal, 
and now he's yes to his man. So, yeah. you know, I think whatever happens, we're, it's going to be uncertain and it's going to be difficult to predict. I think closer to home, obviously, you know, we have, we, we're impacted here because we trade so much with the UK and they're a big, big part of our, of our trading. It's about 30 off, 36 odd percent of our trade is with the UK. And obviously sterling has weakened considerably um, and that's quite tricky for us um, because it's grand if you're looking to buy stuff in sterling, it's a bit trickier if you're trying to sell stuff in euros to some yeah. guy who operates in sterling. And there's, a, there's a story on today, today's business post on the front page of it and it's on the front page and down at the bottom and then continues on page five but it's, um, it's about Coolmore Stud and owned by John Wagner and he has said that he has had to cut his uh, stallion fees in Coolmore um, because most of his, or not most, but lots of his clients are UK based and they're saying they're too high. Um, now that would be, that, that is, that's interesting for a couple of reasons. A, it shows, uh, it shows, I suppose, the impact of the slide in Sterling on, on SMEs. I know, I know John Wagner isn't an SME, but point holds for anyone that's trying to do business and sell goods and services into the UK that's a bit of a problem um, and sterling, weak, weak sterling is not good for that necessarily and um, I kind of popped into my head that Michael O'Leary and his row about Stalin food recently um, yeah. and he might, he might sort of nip over to Coolmore with a few of his horses Yeah. seems to be a bit of a discount there yeah, I mean, it's this, you know, we're probably really still only coming to terms in Ireland with the, the sort of knock-on effects of this. Obviously, the the first affected are the sort of mushroom farmers and 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 direct exporters, but you know, it's the it's the SMEs, much like ourselves, you know, in the consulting field, who, you know, it's 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 sort of it's not as immediate as as someone who's trading in sterling, but you know, it's the things where you know Irish companies are saying, well, look, let's maybe hold off on a big project for six months just to see how things pan out. You know, I think it's it's really trickling down at this stage, even to service businesses, and it's it's just right yeah, through the economy, you know? know. Yeah, like, I, think, I think to be honest with you, the whole Brexit thing, it's very hard to say what's going to happen, because we don't know. Um, and, like, you know, if you think about it earlier, this year was all like, oh, it'll, it'll never be a no vote. It'll be, it'll be like, you know, various other votes where it'll come good in the end. That didn't happen, that was a surprise. I think there's really in court is a surprise. I think the demise of Dave and George was a surprise. Yeah. I think Boris and Michael Gove and their falling out was a surprise. You know, I think even the the whole the whole methodology of how they're gonna do it is gonna be full of surprises. And actually the biggest surprise of all could be that they won't do it. I don't yeah. know. You know, we just don't know. And um, and I think it's more the uncertainty that affects and um, that affects businesses. Yeah, there's immediate knock on with with a, a decline in sterling and that's not great for anyone who's trying to trade in the UK. You know, yeah, there's other, all the other concerns that we're sort of sitting here thinking about and worrying about, is there going to be a border in the north? Is there not? You know, everyone's legging up to the north to buy cheap booze at the moment. That's great for the booze out of in the north, but it's not so hot for businesses and retailers in Ireland that are looking at you. I personally would not like to be a retailer in Dundalk at the moment. No, absolutely not. Trying to sell anything when you can nip across to Newry and get yourself a discount. And, you know, they're the, they're the problems that Ireland has to grapple with as part of this. And I don't know, you know, are we are we in a position really to do a whole lot about it? We don't have a say in what happens with Brexit because we're not part of the UK. We don't have a say really in the response to Brexit because it's decided on a European level and we're all but 
in that wheel. Yeah. Um, so we're going to kind of have to go with the flow a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see how it how it ends up. I think in the meantime, you know, there's going to be a few pains. I think the stallion fee story is a is indicative. Yeah. I don't, I don't personally feel desperately sorry for John Magner, but I do feel sorry for people that are in similar situations where they're selling stuff into the UK and they have their counterparts in the UK ringing saying, Harriet, we can't afford to pay what you're looking for anymore because our currency has slid. Yeah. And, you know, you have a choice in those situations. You either say, well, sorry, the fees are the fees and your customer tells you to get stuff. Or you take a hit. And how much is the hit going to be? And we don't know. Um, and I think, it's, I think you know, it, it feeds into, there's lots of stories about the Irish economy at the moment. You know, we're in the midst of public sector payments. I find it interesting public sector payments when we're still not running budget surplus. But anyway, that's a different story. But, you know, I think it's just another layer of uncertainty in what has been a reasonably fragile recovery, certainly outside of Dublin and the urban centres. Well just on, uh, I suppose, following on from that, um, I just noticed on the on the front page of the Sunday Independent uh, business piece, um, they have uh, Kingspan CEO Gene Murta talking about our corporation tax rate, which is obviously the focus of much speculation. And In light of Brexit and the Apple tax ruling, do you think, you know, the idea that Europe might start targeting our corporation tax rate, do you think that's sort of histrionics or realistically is that something we need to be worrying about? Well, I don't know. It's, it's very, very hard to say. So obviously, like, like, have they had a go at our tax regime? Well, they've already had a go at it because we have the Apple ruling. Um, that's not really so much about the, about, the, about the rate of tax as opposed to the tax deals that we're, we're doing with people. And I, think, I think there's two bits to the story, actually. I think there's the rate itself which causes a sort of a, a level of mirth in France and Germany and places like that. Um, and then there's the, the fact, I guess, that you know very few corporations actually pay 12.5% to the yeah, It's more like four. It's more like two or one yeah. and a half percent. Um, and we seem to be happy to facilitate that on the basis that they come here with, their, with lots of jobs and employ lots of people and rent lots of office space here. And you know, the question is, is that illegal state aid or not? Um, and, and, you know, that, that has to be, I suppose, determined. I think, to be perfectly honest, my own view of it is that I personally don't think that the European project should be getting involved in whatever tax arrangements other countries want to have yeah. with companies that want to come and invest there. And the reality is, is that, you know, uh, I read, there's a story there recently, or yesterday, about Google putting 23 billion worth of sales to Ireland. Like Google doesn't sell 23 billion worth of goods and services in Ireland. It just doesn't. It, it routes sales through there from other countries. But there isn't a 23 billion euro advertising market in Ireland. No. Where they're selling to Johnny and Mary, the, the shoe shop in Ballinasloe, 23 billion euros worth of advertising. So, you know, we have a decision to make. Do we take the jobs and the activity um, that comes with those jobs uh, and allow them allow us to be a conduit for them to avoid paying tax in other jurisdictions or do we not and so far you know the FDI space has been good for Ireland um, and like I, I would tend to agree with Michael Leary and I, if it was me I would tell them to get stuffed and we're not paying, we're not going to yeah. be this money from Apple and um, I don't really see I don't I, I don't I, I don't really see why we should because you know 
again, it's a bit like with the uncertainty as well. That's grand. We collect, we collect money off. We, we tell Apple we want money off them. That's point one. Grand. We do that. But then it's a matter of, well, are they going to pay it? Or how do they collect it? That's point two. And B, what, point three is, well, what's the knock-on effect? Because if I'm, see Apple getting hit over the head of a club, and it is a pretty big club, it's a big ruling, and I'm Google with my 23 billion euro worth of sales and I'm moving through Ireland, and all of the Irish people that are employed down in Barrow Street do, doing all that work, I'm going to say, well, I'll tell you what, we're out of here. Yeah. yeah, and I think, I think, you know, for a small country, sometimes we tend to think that we're a sort of major global player, but the reality is we're, we're a tiny, tiny country on the edge of Europe. And I think we have to use advantages like this in the same way that other, inverted commas, tax havens. I mean, we are a tax haven. There's no point sort of pretending that we're not. And I think if that's an advantage that we need to play to sort of stay in with Europe, to stay in with the US... I think it's what we have to do. I think I think I think the problem is actually this: is that it's very populist to say there's 13 billion that Apple owes, and let's get it because we can do all sorts of great things with roads, schools, hospitals, all that kind of stuff. And that is that is to my mind, it's an argument, but it's actually kind of a very simplistic one that says the money's there, we could use the money for other stuff. Let's do that, and we can give tax cuts to our citizens. That's fine. You get the 13 billion and then you don't spend it. Happy days. Uh, or you could do what I can say, well, you owe 13 billion, but give us four. Or something like that. You, you, you can certainly do that. The bit I don't know about, and this is the bit that I think hasn't been figured out in this discussion, is well, what's the opportunity cost of that? What's going to happen afterwards? When you do that, and then all the other companies are sitting there looking at going, oh, right, well, what's going to happen to those lads? Are they coming to us next? And I think that, that's a bit problematic for us. Um, and, you know, make absolutely no mistake about it. This notion that all of these US multinationals are here because they like us or because we're a great place or because we've an educated workforce or blah, blah, you know, that is not true. They're here because of our tax rate, right? Yeah. Tax regime. And that is the sole reason that they're here. And you get the IGA and the government who sing a good song about, you know, tax, or sorry, about educated workforce and great location and mild climate, which is not, it's just a wet climate, and, and proximity to the urban market, that's all rubbish. That's all just advertising. Boom. But the reality is, it's come here, you don't have to pay a lot of tax and make people employed here. And that's it. And what you find is, if somebody who employs, say, 3,000 people in, we'd say, Limerick, as we found out previously with the likes of Dell, if they all of a sudden disappear, you know, go try and piece together 3,000 jobs from SMEs or what, you know, it's like, you know, I can see where the government are kind of between a rock and a hard place because, you know, you don't want to lose them. And it is very easy to lose. And people said, oh, you know, they'll never leave. And, you know, you see a lot of the, like you say, the sort of populist left-leaning parties and, and independents they tend to say, oh, they'll never leave. and But, like, they will leave. They, they can leave very, very easily. And if we keep, you know, increasing costs like we do, I mean, like you said earlier with the, with the public sector pay increases, that's going to that's gonna rise everyone's pay. It's going to make us less competitive. And at some point, it's just a business decision. And they say, right, we're out of here. Yeah, yeah and they do sometimes. Um, they do. And, and we saw this week with Yelp. Yelp decided to pull 100 jobs out of, uh, out of Dublin. They're just gone. 
Um, were, were they doing? I don't think were they weren't doing that well, were they? No, they weren't. They were struggling. I think they were struggling, and they decided to focus on the US, and they're pulling the, the sales force here in Dublin, and they're pulling, they're pulling back. Just, that. just on that, do you think? Because I, I, I have a feeling a lot of these review sites like Yelp, that looked like they were going to be big maybe three, four years ago. I think they're suffering a little bit from the fact that. Now with the likes of Facebook and Twitter and, and they're just the ubiquity of, of social media where people, generally speaking, act under their own name. Especially on Facebook. You kind of most people on Facebook are there you know, under their own name. I think the idea of kind of anonymous review sites, their value there is gone. I mean, personally, you know, if I see an anonymous review of a restaurant or anything really, I kind I of think, tend to think, ah, I don't know, you know I think I think the, the well, I think the, some of the anonymous review sites are doing quite well. For argument's sake, take TripAdvisor. Yes. That's an anonymous review site. That's doing very, very well. But I think what makes them, what makes TripAdvisor different from the likes of, say, Yelp, is that they've successfully transferred from being simply a review site to, you know, you can, you go and, you know, look up a hotel that you might think of staying in in TripAdvisor, and all of a sudden TripAdvisor will sell you a room in that hotel, yeah. we'll send you an email about what to do in that location. I know I was, if you look up, say, you know, Al Bufera Hotels on TripAdvisor, you get an email the next day from TripAdvisor saying, hey, here's the 10 best things to do in Al Bufera, and by the way, click here if you want to buy any of them. You know, things like boat trips and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the ones that are, the ones that will stay are the ones that are building businesses, not just around, you know, being there and having critical mass, but they're actually selling something. Um, and getting a commission from the hotel for doing that, um, and I think that's I think that's where them where they make the money, um, and you know there's going to be I think quite a lot of um, consolidation in that space, and you're going to see the likes of, for example, Ryanair have made huge inroads into not just flogging your flight but selling you the hire car, selling you the uh, bus tour around the city, selling you the hotel. And I think that's where the, where you're going to be, see a lot of that kind of market going now. And I like I'll go on. I can go on to Ryanair and use their site to buy all of these different things. The question is, is, is the price going to be right? And I think once they get the pricing right, I think that will that will work. And um, and I think you're going to see a lot of the sort of independent review sites sort of falling away. You know, and I think there was a, there was a lot of there was a lot of talk a couple of years ago about the, what these are the future and it was, there was, you could rate anything online and you still yeah. can in some ways but I think it's kind of starting to slow down you know we've had rate my teacher rate my solicitor you could rate my I don't know a cup of coffee in sort of North Dublin but I think that's kind of starting to fall away yeah I think as well I think the, the use proper use of social media by small companies has sort of taken that away because you know if you're a coffee shop now you know, you, you, you can leave a rating for a coffee shop on Facebook and they are real reviews. Yeah. And I think that's kind of slowed a lot of that. We should probably yeah. give a, a shout out to your friend in the, uh, the White Moose <laughs> for use of social media. The headbanger of the coffee and catering and hotel world. And um, yeah, Paul, I, I, I'm a regular visitor to the White Moose Cafe. It's about three minutes from my house. They do a very, very nice pancake with bacon in the morning. Um, but you know you do have to sort of run the gauntlet of being slagged off by Paul. But uh, he's look, Paul. Uh, he's he's shown how you can very very successfully make an awful lot of noise by just generally being a bit of a messer and saying a few controversial things on Facebook. You know, I think look, 
Paul's Paul's a pretty clever bloke by all accounts, and he you know he did that with a bit of a bit of knowledge that it might get a bit of traction. I don't think he was going to randomly abusing people online yeah. and and hope that you'll get a social media sort of hit from it. Um, and you know he he does his thing and it's actually quite successful. But I think it's it's actually a nice counterpoint the way things have gone these days on social media. I think it's a nice counterpoint to the kind of pandering that goes on. Everyone is so, you know, worried about what people will say and what people will think. Now, that obviously takes it to an extreme. But I think at the same time, you know, it is good that somebody can still come on and Michael O'Leary shouldn't be the only one flying the flag for, you know, tell Europe to go fuck well, themselves, I think, basically. I think, I think Paul, the sense in the way he moves, makes the point, and he's probably right. Like, that social media isn't isn't serious. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be a bit of a laugh. And if you take it all very seriously... You know, and there is, you know, there is the sort of the PC brigade that get very upset when anyone says anything that yeah. they particularly like, um, and you need to sort of fly in the face of that a little bit. Yeah. And speaking of uh, all things digital, I see on the back page of the uh, the Indo business piece, Adrian Weckler has a, an article about the Web Summit, um, basically saying that it's going to be up to 50,000 people that have signed up. It's despite maybe some other people in the media not wanting to give it, you know, the time of day, it seems to be doing really well in Lisbon. And uh, it looks like, you know, we've, we've kind of chased away a good thing. Yeah, the, the, the Web Summit, I think, more power to them. I think they'll do very well in Lisbon. Um, I think arguably, there's a few things about the Web Summit, I think arguably they kind of needed to move. Um, I think it, it needed to grow elsewhere possibly for a while and possibly come back. You know, it, it, it's not an Irish phenomenon, the Web Summit. It's a global phenomenon. Yeah. It's companies from all over the world coming to one particular place. And Heidi Cosby is very, very successfully tapped into this kind of sort of, you know, whatever they call it, Davos for Geeks or whatever the phrase is. Yeah. And he's very successfully done that. It does appear that he had sought to try and keep it in Ireland. I think the various different government departments, Dublin City Council and the Department of Tourism, probably the Department of Transport, didn't want to drink as much of Paddy's Kool-Aid as he would like them to have drank. Yeah. Um, and he got the hump and left. And they sort of said, well, don't let the door hit you on the way out, mate. Yeah. And that's basically it. And, you know, like everything, like, it'll get patched up in time if the price is right. And, and actually, is Dublin the place for a big, large conference like that? Probably not. We've shy trans infrastructure. Yeah, we've no, yeah. And we never seem to be able to get it right when it comes to, well, you I, know. I think, like, I think it's kind of tricky because like, you, you want to do a global tech conference in the RDS, well that's grand, but the RDS It's for horse shows, you know. It's a horse venue, it's quite small, there's no transport to it because the dart is and the number seven bus. Uh, there was absolute gridlock in the last couple of people trying to get taxis from the airport to yeah. the venue. And it didn't work. And I think that's, it's just a simple fact. We don't have somewhere to do it. We don't have a national convention centre on the scale that's needed and sort of say sad and I think look more power to the web and off they go. Another story actually that I think is quite, that's quite interesting um, and is going to run and I think it's worth keeping an eye on is the Volkswagen emissions scandal um, is bizarrely being played out in, in, in Castle Bar courthouse between a county Mayo nurse and Volkswagen <laughs> she's suing them over the a devaluation of her jammer because of these emissions scandal. And it's rumbling on there and the great and good of the automotive legal world have had to decamp 
Camp of Castle Bar, it's a very boom, I'd say, for the Castle Bar B&B. &B. Um, and it's quite, it's quite interesting um, what's going to happen there. You know, that there's sort of there's allegations that Natalia's mother, who was the chief executive of Volkswagen at the time, he, he's been telling lies, basically, um, and that he has, uh, he, it's going to run and run, I think. Um, and, you know, the department are now getting involved. Um, the solicitor, actually, for the nurse of Britain, the justice, uh, justice department, and the revenue commissioners. Um, and, you know, it'd be interesting to see. It's just, I think, I just find it fascinating that there's this big sort of story about emissions and a huge global scandal with Volkswagen. I'm going to get to play that in Castle Park or District Court. But anyway, um, speaking of district courts or other courts, I think it is a district court actually, um, is Shawnee Fitz is back in the papers again. He's being prosecuted for um, not disclosing loans and anger accounts and various other misdeeds. Um, and I think that'll kind of rumble on for a while. I don't think he'll go to jail, to be honest with you, but I guess we'll see what happens, you know. I think maybe the the level of anger that was there two, three years ago, it just kind of tips down a little bit at a time. And I think realistically, as much as people might like to hang someone out to dry, you know, I don't think it's fair to just scapegoat one particular person. I think, you know, he was definitely a, a main culprit, but he certainly wasn't the only one involved. Yeah, I think that's probably right, isn't it? Another, another uh, interesting story coming from a totally different angle that I noticed in the Indo today. Uh, UFC champion Conor McGregor is uh, gearing up for a fight in the UK courts uh, over a Manchester-based businesswoman who has apparently um, infringed on his, uh, his intellectual property and his trademarks. She's gone and spent, cleverly or, or it might be foolhardy, she spent over €3,000 applying for a range of trademarks and um, such as Conor McGregor, the notorious, the notorious Conor McGregor, a whole range of, of websites, IP addresses, everything like that. Um, and his uh, IP lawyers are, are uh, his trademark lawyers are, are going to court to defend his, uh, well, his various he, trademarks. I hope his new trademark and IP lawyers, because his previous one missed a serious trick. I well, mean, it, to be honest, I think Conor McGregor needs himself to blame. You know, Conor McGregor is not a new phenomenon. He's been on the go now since 2012, 2013, doing his thing. He's a phenomenal operator in terms of PR, in terms of generating buzz, and in terms of building a brand for himself. That's, that, you know, is, is likely to be there for a considerable period of time and making money. And if, he was, if, if him or his advisors were stupid enough to allow this happen, I think they've really only got themselves to blame. Yeah. You know, like, like, he'll get them back, and he, he'll probably have to pay to get them back off this lady. Um, and... I don't know, fair pay for doing it. Um, you know, there's been plenty of these, I think, uh, you know, on a similar sort of vein. I know that um, Trump.tv, Trump I know they were working on talk about the US election, but Trump.tv, where everyone assumed Trump was going to launch his network, yeah. has been snapped up by somebody. You know, when he sees these stories, you say, lads, you know, you get your act together. Get your act together. Yeah. And if, you, if, you're, if you're going down this road, now, you see, maybe he's not and he doesn't care, but if you're going to end this road, get your, get your stuff together. We're, we mentioned briefly the US election. We said we weren't going to talk about it, um, mainly because we're going to talk about it next week when we know what the answer is and the election's over. Um, but I think it's all a, a sort of sad, sordid, and squalid little campaign is kind of coming to an end. Um, my favourite bit of the US election this week has been 
Reiner's ad where they sent out effectively a note to say that um that their their the email they were sending out was low fares was so good even Hillary wouldn't delete it. <laughs> <laughs> never so, never one to uh, to miss a trick. Miss a trick. So I think look we'll talk about that next week. I think they're that that's gonna rumble on and on. Um and it's um you know it'll be it'll be it'll be pulsating whatever happens but I don't I don't know I don't know um I think I I, I want to mention just briefly there's a there is a um there is a, a big story in the Sunday Business Post this week about big pharma uncovered it's the latest in a number of different exposures that Jack Morgan Jones has done in the Business Post he he quite successfully tackled the um. Vulture funds um, buying up Irish property in the last while, but anyway, he's pointed his guns at Big Pharma, um, and basically, it's it all seems to be just a sort of a, a money pit. And um, Big Pharma paying millions for Irish doctors to get skills, travel around, paying speaking fees to them, and um, you know, nursing posts, medical posts are being funded by the industry, and payments are being made by hospitals out to these drug firms, and and. Um, the, I think the big story in it is that um, doctors are getting money from these big pharma. There's millions of euros being sort of, you know, not disclosed by the doctors according to the Sunday Business Post, and up to a third, apparently, of HSE's senior clinicians involved in drug policy across the health service are in receipt of money from drug companies. And um, so that's quite interesting that a third of people are getting paid by drug companies presumably to decide what drugs they use in hospitals and um, so i think that's probably one worth keeping an eye on i think for all the talk as well and again this is a, a topic for another day but for all the talk of you know legalization of cannabis and you know the war on what would be classed illegal drugs i think the rise in people struggling with prescription medication is just huge and um, i think there's a massive lobby there to sort of cover that up to an extent um, but I know that's that's becoming a bigger and bigger problem people who would never do heroin or even even something like cocaine it might be somewhat more acceptable to take prescription painkillers or whatever um, and I think you know that's something that maybe like tobacco 30 years ago it's it's something that we'll only be hearing about as a scandal in, in another 20 years time yeah, no, absolutely. And speaking of another scandal, uh, Stephen Donnelly has an article again in the Sindo about tax breaks for commercial property and saying that this is essentially going to lead to another bubble, which we clearly already have in the market. Um, interestingly, says uh, we're now the second most expensive city in the Eurozone to buy high-quality office space. Um, the costs have been absolutely spiralling in terms of commercial rents, nearly doubling in the past two years, which is really, really terrible for inward investment it's terrible for companies who are here already again it's all just about costs getting out of control and i think you know that goes back again to uh, you know to the public sector pay situation i mean if you increase uh, everyone's uh, you know everyone's pay certainly if, if you look at you know a broad range of, of public sector jobs if everyone's on the rise which to be fair you know they, they've had nothing for the last 10 years and um, it just means that you know everyone gets less competitive and really what we need to do is tackle, you know, property prices, the big costs that people have. If No matter how much you pay people, if your car insurance costs an outrageous amount, if your childcare costs an outrageous amount, if, you know, it costs you, you know, the price of a mansion in some countries to buy a standard three-bed semi in Dublin, 
that's a huge problem. And all the pay increases in the world of, you know, 3% or whatever, you know, people are getting, that's not going to fix the fact that, it you know, it's 15 times salary to buy a house. Yeah, I think, like, I think, I think Stephen Donnelly's, you know, he's, he's making a point, you think, about tax breaks for commercial property. And that's going to fuel a bubble, you know. I, yeah, he's right. I mean, yeah, 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 it probably will, you know, increase the profits of these lads. Um, but the reality is we don't have a functioning commercial property market in Dublin. We don't have enough supply. We don't have enough people building properties, getting them to, um, getting them to market. Um, and, you know, with a lot of land banks sitting there, I think NAMA have an awful lot of the land that they're just sitting on. And I think actually the commercial property problem will be, you know, um, dealt with if we just get up and start building quickly. Yeah. And um, it's the same in the housing market. We just need to start building again. And the right type of houses. Yeah, but we went from ninety two thousand, say in the retail unit or in the retail space, we went from ninety thousand units a year to about ten thousand. We probably need to be doing about twenty five thousand, so we need to double the output. And the same in commercial property. And that'll solve a lot of those problems. And you know, I um you know, in fairness I think Stephen is right to highlight the tax and inequality for some of these guys. Um they're you know, we love complaining in this country about tax other people don't pay usually um, and I think people like Stephen are right to highlight it but you know to be quite frank if you uh, if you want to you know if you want to do something about it just legislate it yeah it's that simple and I think a lot of people you know there's sort of the universal thing of you know the vulture funds are the big bad wolf coming over the hill um, do you think that's fair do you no. think you know I, I think I, I think you know if somebody wants to come in I mean it's not it's not like the field you know where the yank is coming in to sort of take what's ours I mean I think in this day and age if somebody comes in they have the money to make an investment I don't think we should be so parochial about you know trying to defend our, our property I mean ultimately we allowed a situation where people could speculate wildly and, and essentially lose these assets so I don't I think they get an unfair rap you know well I think I think with budget funds it's very simple and um, they, they, they will do what they do. I, I don't think they, you know, there's no sort of wolf in sheep's clothing sort of here where they sort of, you know, came in as the mother trees of the property market. And yeah. all of a sudden turned out not to be so. We allowed them in, we sold them the assets, mainly state agencies, mainly NANA sold them the assets, or state owned banks sold them the assets. So you can't, on the one hand, say, well, the state is going to sell all this stuff to these lads and then complain when they do it. I just don't think that fits. And um, I think if you want to, if you don't like vulture funds and you want to tackle them, do. Legislate and Stephen Donnelly should be putting private members together and look for cross party support to tackle vulture funds if he feels strongly about it. It's kind of that simple. And you know, they will go where they get a return, they felt that those returns we got here, and we let them have that return. The vulture funds are going to talk about. And it's interesting with the with the sell off that's ultimately going to happen probably because of the decline in the sterling. Um it's interesting that we could and David McWilliams alluded to this on agenda last week, we could have a very curious situation where you know, obviously, the natural buyers of these uh, of these assets when the vulture funds leave are going to be Irish people, and you could have this curious situation where, you know, Irish people backed by the very same Irish banks who 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 overextended, you know, ten years ago to to lend for these assets in the first place could actually end up refinancing them with a the vulture fund coming in, taking their cut, and basically well, actually, backing off. Actually, there was there was an interesting um, there was an interesting piece um, yesterday um, on Bobby Kerr's radio show. Life in your own guy's name, but he was a guy that had a business that had a long 
transfer to a Bosch point and actually be bought back off the Bosch point without the AID, which I thought was a good story and shows sort of what can be done. I think just before we leave the whole chats piece, um, there's a big piece in the personal finance section of the business post this week about doing your tax return. Obviously, it is tax season, you need to go and do the tax return for 2015. Now, the deadline on Ross is November the 10th, which is later this week. Um, and you gotta send them the send them the form, uh, pay them the money, which is usually the uh, biggest thing, and pay for the tax for twenty sixteen. And um, so the deadline's later this week. You know, I think a lot of people are kind of saying, Jesus, how the hell does this work?" And um, actually, it's quite an easy system actually when you go and use it, and you can do it yourself. I know I've done it myself a couple of times, and it's been fine. And if you think you're gonna struggle to do that, and um, there's loads of people out there. It's actually quite cheap, sort of range from 150 to 300 quid to get someone to do it for you, and it's, it's sort of done then and out of your hair. And um, there's a sort of a, a, the usual sort of foreboding tale of Emma Kennedy has it in the, in the, in under the tax return piece about uh, the personal touch to nudge taxpayers in the right direction. The British tax plan is apparently applying behavioural science to get non compliant people to cop up, and it seems to be working a treat. There's actually a spelling mistake in the Working a treat, bit of a headline, working a treat. But um, that sounds kind of something that I think a lot of people in Ireland would be a bit concerned about because of the revenue commissioners going to these behavioural science to try and tackle them to pay more tax or to pay the tax they're supposed to be paying. They did a uh, they did a trial actually, uh, which I didn't know, but the uh, revenue commissioners did a trial back in 2013 uh, with SMEs and they sent a group of 2,000 business people, um, which is a small sample, I suppose, and um, they got a personalised post-it note, um, and a, or a mass-produced letter, and personalised to their own situations, and it caused response rates to double. So I presume the revenue commissioners will have their tail up, uh, that kind of response, and we can expect some behavioural science to be coming to your tax return soon, which is an interesting concept for us all. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Anything else interesting in the papers while we're while we're at it? Yeah, the usual, I think. I'm 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 always sort of I always sort of there's a few sort of checks I do on the uh, in the newspaper every week as to take the temperature of the economy. The first thing is you you have a look at the size and scope of the property section, and there's a lovely castle down in Clare for sale for eight hundred grand. So obviously we're all feeling pretty pecker. And the other thing I always check is the motoring section if they're reviewing. The latest Toyota Starlet, or you know, ten tips for second-hand cars. You get a bit worried, but I'm very happy to say that there is a fabulous article on the new Mercedes CLA Forty Five shooting brake. Whatever shooting brake means. Prices start at uh, oh, the prices on application. You don't tell you what the prices start. Well, that's always a bad sign. That's always a very bad sign. And there's a nice big ad for the new Mercedes E-Class's Irish Car of the Year 2017. So we are obviously getting very pecker. So that's good news. And um, Mercedes are advertising heavily in the business post. There's also a new section on the Citroen C3, which must be for those of us who are not feeling quite so pecker. It actually looks pretty rotten, doesn't it? Yeah, looks uh, nice. Very nice looking car, actually looks nicer than the shooting brake, whatever the shooting brake means. Um, so that's usually that's usually a good sign. Um, and the other bit that I often look at, um, being the sad person that I am, is I usually look at the um, Scrubs Gazette section on the personal finance page to see what they're 
Who was struggling this week? kept away from Brexit no sorry we kept away from the US election we kept away from the guards um, the teachers the teachers will need an entire show for us to, uh, to we cover will, we should do we should do a public sector pay dispute special I think we might do that yeah, um, yeah. we might get your, your friend from the White Moose in to help us with that and <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's kind of everything that's going on this week you know looking forward to next week What's going to be happening? Obviously, the big story is going to be the US election. It's on the 8th, which I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, correct. Um, so it's it's going to be wall to wall US election. We're going to find out what happens. It will be either Trumpasaurus or her or her Hillaryness. And um, so yep. we're going to find out which one it's going to be. It's going to be interesting. And we're going to go into a bit of depth next week. In you know, I think a lot of people will obviously be covering just the result and 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 the sort of. I think we're going to try and go into a little bit more depth as to what it actually means. You know, to the global economy, and then just just the, the power balance of, of of the world. Basically, I mean, there's there's obviously huge implications. I think you know, cooler heads should prevail, and uh, and, and Hillary should get in. But who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? So we're going to try and go into a bit of detail. Um, we're going to do this every every Sunday for people who are listening. It'll be a good you know Monday morning into work review of the week, so you can you can wow your colleagues with your knowledge of. The past week's uh, exploits in the papers without actually having to bother yourself reading them, um, and that's pretty much the way it's going to go. Before we go, there's just one one thing that I would like to mention before we go. Anyone who is looking to um, treat themselves, there is actually a really nice um, spread in the magazine section of the post it's on page twenty six about um, places to go in Fair and Limerick if you're looking for a decent bit of nosh and a nice and there seems to be there's some great spots there. I've been in, you know, sadly only one of them. Um, but again, going back to my theme of uh, you know rising tides, and um, it's it's certainly some nice stuff there. So if you're interested in going to Karen Limerick, for reasons I don't know, but if yeah, you are, reasons best known to yourself, <laughs> it's somewhere to look at. Very good. So look, we'll uh, we'll be back next week. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Uh, if you have any questions. Send them on to us, comment, get on to us on Twitter. Comments, questions, I'm at Stephen Kerr on Twitter. I'm at, at my underscore DFI on Twitter. Happy to answer any people's questions and thanks for listening. If people want us to discuss something or a story or whatever, get on to us and then any complaints or problems are held handy by that. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right, that's it. See you next week.